Please stand for the reading of the word. Isaiah 61, 1 through 11. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations <clears throat> and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that there's some differences. What translation was that? Mm, nope. <laughs> there was some. There was some interesting differences in that, and I think we need to uh, we'll, we'll we'll need to look at that a bit. And this is why can, uh, comparing translations is always a good idea. Be NIV, okay, because every translation is an act of interpretation. And there's some interesting things that happened in that passage. And one of the things I'll want you to look at as we go through this passage is the pronouns, first person, second person, third person. Because uh, some of those, it was, you were reading there or they, and you were hearing you. And, and so there was some second person address, which sounded like it was talking to one group of people. But then in the ESV, it's a little different. And there's some reasons for that, but I'll be, I'll be focusing on the, the ESV. And it's, uh, sometimes that's just a function of, of, of a stance that, that uh, a translation team takes on certain passages and decisions they have to make based on uh, lots of manuscript evidence and different things. 
but I think in this case, uh, the ESV, um, looking at that uh, will be very important because of these changes between third and second person plural addresses. Uh, those are very important in our passage today. Everlasting joy. This is a very familiar passage to us, or it should be, right? How many of you have been here for the last year? <laughs> uh, where have we heard this passage the most? Luke? What chapter? I know I didn't announce that there would be a test today. <laughs> Luke chapter 4, Jesus' first, uh, Jesus first uh, sermon in the Gospel of Luke at, at, at uh, Nazareth, where he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it and he finds the place where it's written, the Spirit of the Sovereign God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the broken heart to proclaim liberty to captives, opening of the prisons for those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where Jesus stops his reading and says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And what Jesus is doing there, and what a lot of New Testament authors do, is, is when they quote a section of Scripture, they don't mean to necessarily stop your thinking at where they stop, they're basically saying, here's the, here's the passage of Scripture, and I want you to think about the whole context around it. And, and, you know, because parchment and ink was expensive and rare, so they wrote in very economical ways, and so sometimes what they would do is instead of quoting an entire passage, they would just give you the key idea and expect your brain to fill in the rest. There's a technical term for that. I think it's called Gezer Shavah. It's a rabbinic uh, writing technique, and I think that's probably what Jesus was doing there because he was wanting to say, there is a big restoration project that I am now bringing, and the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me, or the Lord God. Now, we've heard this over and over throughout Isaiah, that God is on the move, and he is going to restore his people and the beauty of the Lord will be on his people so that the whole world can know the love and the joy of God. The first Sunday of Advent, we were in Isaiah 64, and we, we read in Isaiah 64 a longing, a lament, an expectation, because after all of this great, these great and wonderful things about comfort, comfort my people that we learned last week, and, and all of these uh, all of these passages over and over, these songs of the servant who was to come and make all things new, the people of Isaiah are going, when, Lord, when is this going to happen? Because we're in Babylon right now, we're in exile, or we're about to go into exile. There's differences of opinion as to when Isaiah's writing. But in any case, they're not realizing the reality of this. It's not something they're living in yet. That restored, renewed people of God. And so the first passage in Isaiah 64, after all of these songs, like what we're reading today and what we read last week in Isaiah 40, this whole section from Isaiah 40 to the end of the book is just filled with poetry of beauty and wonder of what God is doing, and what he will do in and through his anointed one, the, the spirit upon him. And so there is an expectation, a longing, and a hope. 
And so even if, if we were just reading Isaiah without the New Testament, we'd have to ask the question, who is the me? Who is, who is it that the Spirit of God is upon in this? Who is it that will greatly rejoice in the Lord and my soul shall exult in God? He, he talks in the first person in verse 1 and then in verse 10 comes back to it. Is this Isaiah, is this the prophet? It seems it might be, but then, <laughs> thinking about this, Isaiah was told early on, his, on in his ministry, go and, and, and preach to my people, tell them the message that I'm going to give you. But what was the response going to be? Nobody's going to listen to you, and nothing's going to change. Wow, talk about a great call to ministry. How many of us would want to go into a job or a situation where we're, we're called to bring change and yet we're not allowed to? Or the people just will not respond at all. What a frustrating life Isaiah must have had. Hearing the word of the Lord, knowing what's coming for Israel, knowing that their rebellion and their hard-heartedness is going to lead to exile and to defeat and to Babylon and 70 years of exile, knowing that people were going to die and people were going to turn away from the Lord, and knowing that all of this was going to happen, and yet he still had to speak the message. And so I think Luke 4 gives us the answer to who the me is. It is the Messiah. The one to come, not the prophet Isaiah himself. And Isaiah, through the Holy Spirit's anointing and empowerment for him and his prophetic ministry, was able to see that this would be what the Messiah was to bring. In fact, it is, the word anointed me, he has anointed me, Mashach, from which we get Messiah, Mashiach in Hebrew. He has been anointed to bring Good news, good news of great joy, good news of victory, good news of re, uh, renewal and re, uh, re, not rebellion, good news of, of, of the renewal of God's people. Good news to the poor. He has sent me. There is a sentness. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said at the end of John's gospel, so send I you. We'll get to that but he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, opening of the prisons for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garments of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so the main verbs in here are anointed. He has anointed me for what? To bring good news, to announce the victory assured, the victory that has been won by God, and he has sent me. He has sent me for what? To bind up, to proclaim, to proclaim, to comfort, to grant Everything after this in these opening three verses all comes under what the servant of the Lord has been sent to do. It defines 
his ministry. And we've been learning in Luke's gospel, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Every time he heals and in every, every uh, interaction he has as he forgives sins, as he sets people free, physically and spiritually. This is what Jesus' coming was all about. The, that God's blessing and work would give them then a righteous identity which would result in glory to God. The end of verse 3. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And, and, and they can, can't but help but picture the, the, the prodigal son coming home, beaten, bruised, uh, de destitute, emaciated, uh, clothingless. And the father wrapping his arms around him and giving him a, a, a new coat and a ring on his fingers and sandals for his feet and a great feast. This is what the coming of Jesus does for his broken and wounded and captive people. In these opening verses, we see what we were apart from Christ. We see what God has done in and through Jesus and now who we are because of it. All because of what God has done for us. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. Who is the they? The they is the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives and the bound and the, those who are in mourning and those who mourn in Zion. Those who don't have the beautiful headdress, the oil of gladness, who are in mourning and not in a garment of praise. They are the ones that receive what God has done for them. And this is what Jesus offers to every single one of us when we come to him, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, firmly planted in righteousness that God has done. That he may be glorified. That he may be glorified. The, the real result here is the glory and the majesty and the worship of God. And that will come up over and over in this passage. That he may be glorified. And so God does all this and he brings this restoration to his people. And then in verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair ruined cities and the devastation of many generations. Those who experience the rebuilding work of God in their lives are then tasked to rebuild the world around them. To, to bring into more and more reality that which God has worked for them. They are now to work for the world around them. We don't just passively receive the good news of the gospel. We, we receive it and we are restored by it in our, our hearts and our minds and our bodies. And then we are called to serve. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. His restoring work. When God restores us, he calls us to rebuild. Redemption comes with responsibility. Verses 5 to 7. Again, notice the change 
in the second person, in third person. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They, notice this, they shall speak of you as the ministers of God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and their glory, in their glory, you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their and Therefore, and in there, and they shall possess a double portion, they shall have everlasting joy. So the you here refers to restored Israel, the, the, the you that, that is receiving all of this work for God. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God restores us for a mission to declare the glorious works of God. And the nations are to hear this and be blessed in it. Genesis 12, one to three, leave your family and your nation, God said to Abram, go to the land I will show you and I will bless you and you will be a blessing and all nations will find their blessing in you. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. There will be this great blessing upon God's people. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice. It's a little confusing here because who does the they refer to? Well, if we go back into verse 6, it says, you shall eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. They shall rejoice in their lot. They shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. And throughout Isaiah, there is this movement from God redeeming and restoring Israel to God redeeming and restoring the nations. And it's a global effort that God is putting out here. He is not just restoring one people and one nation to rule over the others. He is restoring them so that they can get back to their primary purpose, which in Exodus 19 was, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Who are they to be priests to? The other nations. They are to take the message and, the, and, and, the, and the, the reality of the relationship with God and they are to stand in the gap for the rest of the world. Ian, D, Ivan D. Friesen, Believer's Church Commentary, good name, Mennonite Biblical Commentary. The nations will not be dispossessed and humiliated by Israel. Instead, they will also receive double and everlasting joy as a result of their acceptance of the Lord's instruction through his people. See, there's a mission for God's people. The spirit of the Lord is upon his anointed one to bring all this good news. And then the people that respond to that good news will be restored and they will rebuild and then they will be the blessing that all the nations need. Verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will be faithful and give them their recompense. There will be justice, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Mercy, covenant, relationship. This is Yahweh speaking here for the first time in this passage. 
And he is announcing his justice and his mercy and his desire to build, have a covenant relationship that expands to involve all nations into one. And then the mission of his people as one people. And uh, the first year I was here, we went through the book of Ephesians and we hit chapter two and the bulk of chapter two is Paul saying, God has torn down the wall of hostility. There is neither Jew nor Greek. And he has created one new people, destroying the hostility through the cross so that you who are far away have been brought near. That those who are on the outside of God's blessing and covenant people have been now included in God's covenant people. This is what Isaiah is seeing hundreds and hundreds of years before the New Testament comes about, before the ministry of Jesus and before Paul puts this together and says, this is what God was doing all from the beginning when he called Abraham. One people, one mission, a unified covenant people under God from all tribes and tongues and nations. And this is the glorious vision that John has when he has this in Revelation. That it's going to be an all nations thing. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them and that they are the offspring of the Lord that the Lord has blessed. It's going to continue to work its way out across the globe. All nations will be blessed through God's chosen people. And here in the Hebrew text, there is a marker that says, this is, the, this is the paragraph, it's closed at this point. And then we get this rejoicing in verse 10. Back to the first person. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself out like a priest with a beautiful headdress and the bride adorns herself with jewels. There is this great rejoicing that is in response to what the, the vision that Isaiah is given. The vision that Isaiah is given that this anointed one will come and he will work all of these things for his people, for the brokenhearted, the poor, and the captives, and the bound, and the declaring God's favor and his vengeance, parallel ideas the mercy of God and the justice of God. You can't separate the two. Without the justice of God, the mercy is meaningless. There's no mercy if, unless there's a threat of justice and judgment. Because then what is there to be merciful about? <laughs> there has to be this judgment peace. But it is a day as opposed to a year. It is an event versus God's core character of, just, of mercy. But mercy and justice belong together, which is to comfort those who mourn. Because when we're in mourning, we think of the injustice, especially for Israel in this context. They are enslaved. They are captive. They are bound. They are in Babylon. They're not in Israel. They have been defeated. They are defeated people. One of the Psalms written in the exile, the, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat as we wept as we remembered 
Jerusalem, and we remember the temple, and you're asking us to sing you a song in Jerusalem, but how can we possibly sing when we're so broken? God's justice and vengeance will proclaim, will make way for the year of the Lord's favor because he will judge rightly and he will judge fully. And only he really is equipped to judge the nations because he is holy and he is in control and he has created all of this. But his mercy and his grace is going to pour out to all nations because of what the Messiah will do I will, be, I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will faithfully give them what their deeds deserve. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Here, justice, mercy, covenant. Again. And so this is cause for eternal rejoicing and everlasting joy. And that's what we celebrate this Advent is that because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that we can be clothed with the garments of salvation, that we can be covered with his robe of righteousness so that all of the brokenness and the sin and the weight around us can be lifted and we can walk in rejoicing because God has given us his clothing and his blessing. Verse 11 is the inevitable results of God's marvelous work in Jesus Christ. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. It's inevitable. You stick a seed in the ground. How many of you planted garlic this fall? Do you expect it to come up in the spring? Of course. (laughs) Because you plant a seed, because you do the work, because the the garden, the the earth just does its thing. You go into an area that's been devastated by a forest fire, what are you going to find? Mushrooms, right? (laughs) Like mushroom pickers love post-fire season, you know, a year or so later. The morel mushrooms start coming up. The the earth just naturally rejuvenates itself and brings forth fruit. And this is what Isaiah is saying in this chapter, at the end of this, in verse 11. Just as it is inevitable that the earth is going to sprout new stuff in the spring, so also the Lord is going to cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Because God's work in Christ results in righteousness for his people, which in in through that he may be glorified. Back to verse 3. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. There's this garden image again. What God has done so that he may be glorified. This is what Advent is about. Looking for, longing for, the coming of the king who will cause righteousness to sprout up from the ground and praise of our God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus' ministry and vocation, he comes out of the desert, out of the time of testing and the power of the Spirit, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord, is upon me. And this is my mission. 
And then at the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, Jesus says this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I am sending you the promise of my Father, the Spirit. And stay here until you're clothed with power from on high. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. Therefore, I have an identity in Christ. I have the empowerment of the Spirit. And therefore, I have a responsibility and a mission in everyday life to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That I and you and all of us may be the oaks of righteousness, that we may glorify our Lord, that we may then build up and raise up and repair. The Spirit sent Jesus on his mission. The Spirit was given to restore and rebuild his people. He then clothes his people with his righteousness so that they will worship him. Because God has worked for us and God is working in us, God will then work through us. And we look and we long for and we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ who has completed this and who has made his Spirit available to us so that all nations may know the good news of God's reign and rule and restoration and forgiveness and equipping for his people so that we can let our light shine in this dark world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing, wonderful work in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that in you there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Thank you that because you came and you, you died for us, that you gave your life for us and that you then sent your spirit to indwell your people who are called by your name as we surrender our lives to you. You make what was dead in us alive. You make what was broken in us, healed. You make what was captive in our hearts and our minds liberated. You open up the prison in which we were bound and you proclaim your favor over us. You welcome us home as the prodigal who ran away and you reach out to us to the stubborn older son who just wouldn't go into the party because he didn't think the younger son deserved it. You call us all into your glorious Praise to worship you who restores and renews our hearts and the face of the earth. And so, Lord, may you just fill us with joy and anticipation that because Jesus is alive today and that he sent his spirit into our hearts, we may live and move and have our being in you 
and that we are now called to be priests, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, help us to live in the joy of that and help us to feel the responsibility of that as well. A joyful responsibility to follow Jesus and to make him known. In Jesus' name, amen.